Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Jason Bellet, who's the co-founder and chief customer officer of Echo, which is a digital health company that equips providers with artificial intelligence-powered digital stethoscopes and electrocardiograms to assist them in the detection and monitoring of patients with cardiovascular disease. Over 50,000 clinicians across 4,000 health systems are using Echo's tools to help millions of patients around the globe. So Jason, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And it's good to see you again. Yeah. So one quick piece of information for the audience is that Osmosis and Echo are actually incubated by the same tech investors called Dream at Health. And so it's been a couple of years since we last connected, but it's amazing to see the traction you all have achieved in that time. Ah, same with you. Uh, we got to cheer on our other digital health founders. Totally. Um, and so, you know, I know about your background clearly, but for our audience, which is primarily health professional students and health professionals, we'd love to hear a bit about how you even got into co-founding Echo. Yeah, so I'm happy to tell you a little bit about Echo and how we got started and where we are now. So we started Echo as undergraduates at UC Berkeley. And it's an interesting story. My, my co-founder, Connor, was in his bioengineering senior thesis class. And they had a really, really broad thesis topic, which was identify a gap in healthcare, go ahead and do stakeholder interviews with providers and administrators. And then by the end of the semester, propose a solution. I mean, couldn't, couldn't be broader in terms of scope, but he was really interested in cardiology and, and having had a heart murmur, actually really interested in murmurs as well. And so he spoke with a ton of cardiologists and, and one of them looked down at their stethoscope and said, you know, this is the icon of medicine. It's worn around the neck of 30 million providers around the world yet it's a rubber tube with a metal chest piece. And we're so reliant on it in the front lines, even you know, in the age of echocardiography and 12 lead EKG, you know, we still use a stethoscope to pick up the first signs of heart disease and pulmonary disease, yet it's very subjective. Um, and though cardiologists are considered the experts, they even struggle with picking up the nuances, let alone providers who aren't experts in, in cardiovascular care. So kind of the light bulb went off for Connor. Can we build a stethoscope that has embedded AI that actually allows providers to better understand what they're listening to and then give them decision support uh, to be able to pick up disease earlier on? And, and we'll kind of start it out as a pie in the sky. Let's bring machine learning to the stethoscope. Ultimately, over the last six years, has kind of come into reality with the platform that we built. And it's been an incredible journey. Truly. I mean, it's pretty incredible to see over the last six years where you've come to. So what is your background? Like you were talking about Connor's biomedical engineer. Did you drop out of undergrad or? Uh, yeah, no, it's a good, good question. So yeah, so Connor had this idea, you know, we're in our senior year of, of Berkeley. And at the time I was in the business school, an uh, undergraduate program at Haas. And our third co-founder was a mechanical engineer. And, you know, the, the unique part about being on a college campus is you can quickly pull from people with different experiences and different, you know, studies uh, from different departments to kind of come together and work on a project. So Connor tapped me to kind of build the economic model, you know, do a market assessment, a competitive assessment, build kind of the first, like, how are we going to bring this thing to market? And then the, the other co-founder was like building it from scratch, you know, building the prototype with 3D printing and um, some off-the-shelf components, and then also kind of hacking away at an iOS application to be able to pull data off the stethoscope. And we kind of took it all and pitched it to an angel investor as part of a campus entrepreneurship program that they were starting at, at schools across the country. It was a angel fund called founder.org. And their thesis was investing in kind of first time student entrepreneurs. 
And we were really fortunate to get a first kind of round of seed funding to kind of go past that initial prototype. And at the time we were all kind of looking at what are we going to do after college? Should we start looking for jobs? And as soon as we kind of got that first kind of sign that there was going to be some investment behind this, we all gave up our job search. And this became our our only experience professionally of building this thing from the ground up. So my experience is Echo. <laughs> That's amazing. So so yeah. can you talk to us a bit about like the history where like you started off with the stethoscope and then over time you started getting more products like the electrocardiogram. You got uh, FDA approval, I believe, or uh, you've been working with the FDA on the AI components. would love to just hear kind of what that ramp up has been yeah. the product offerings you have right now. Yeah, I mean, so it really started with the end goal of building an AI-assisted cardiac screening tool. And obviously the stethoscope is the first line screening tool and we wanted to start with that. But really the, the big picture is how do we help providers pick up previously undiagnosed, potentially even asymptomatic valve disease, AFib, heart failure in the clinic? Can we get those patients into the cardiologist's office so they can get diagnosed and under the right kind of care pipeline? To do that, it kind of broke into three different components. First, we had to build the devices to capture the data. And I wish that there had been a Bluetooth enabled stethoscope with mobile compatibility that we could have just started layering AI on top of. Like there wasn't the iPhone to build the app on, right? So we we had to start by getting into the hardware space. Then we had to build the software to really pull the data off the stethoscope for iOS and Android and and make it engageable at the point of care. Uh, And then the third is the AI. And each of those three components took on their own roadmaps. So for the first three years, while we were building the AI and kind of building the training data set and then ultimately the validation data set, we had this amazing digital stethoscope that didn't have AI. And so we tried to figure out how do we bring this to market now, not twiddle our thumbs for five years while we build the algorithm, but begin to provide value. And so that's where the core first came to market. And its value proposition really was help providers hear more clearly. And then was also used for telehealth. Um, as telehealth was kind of exploding, the ability to capture high quality heart and lung sounds and then stream them via our platform during telemedicine visits really became our focus all the while we were building kind of the the big vision, which was the decision support capacity. As we were kind of still along that line, we realized that in order to provide the level of decision support we wanted at the point of care, while heart and lung sounds were great, we could get so much more if we also had ECG. We could better understand timing. We could assess arrhythmias. The Mayo Clinic had been developing a a machine learning algorithm that could screen for low ejection fraction with a single lead ECG, which is mind blowing. Um, But if you could combine a single lead ECG with a stethoscope, build it into a handheld tool that can be applied during the standard auscultation, that was kind of the dream in terms of being able to really screen for a panel of conditions. And so the duo ultimately quickly became a high priority product for us. And just in about January of this year of 2020, everything came together where we had the duo FDA cleared, we had the core FDA cleared, we got the AI FDA cleared, and we have about 200 health systems that use our our telehealth solution. And now it's all about layering the AI on top of their current implementations and bringing the AI to the 50,000 providers that use our devices every day. That's incredible. I mean, what a, so it start the year started off really well, and you know, obviously COVID hit, which has accelerated a lot of the things that I know you've been talking about for some time in terms of telehealth care, uh, the need for remote screening, the need for patient-enabled healthcare screening, and so consumer health. Um, could you tell us a bit more about like how COVID has uh, kind of affected your growth curve right now? 
Absolutely. You know, it, it all kind of comes back to that big picture of how do we help providers better detect disease at the point of care? And the big thing that COVID changed is what is the point of care, right? So whether the doctor is side by side with the patient in, you know, the internal medicine office doing the annual wellness exam, or they're a hundred miles away doing a video conference, the need for that internal medicine doctor to screen that patient for potentially you know, life-threatening cardiovascular conditions, and even more now with COVID, potentially life-threatening cardiovascular conditions hasn't changed. So what we're really focused on is, especially in the age of telehealth, how do we help providers move beyond video? You know, for you and I to be able to see and talk to each other is one thing, but as a provider, I can only do so much. You know, we're, we're not at the point yet where we can throw away the physical exam and just do a video call. So being able to equip providers with tools that can be sent directly to the patient, to their home, or if they're at a skilled nursing facility or nursing home, be sent to wherever they are, which is the new point of care, and allow that provider to be able to diagnose with not only greater confidence because they can hear the heart and lung sounds, but with the AI greater accuracy, we really feel like that's the next frontier. So you know, we have been talking about telehealth for a long time. This really accelerated the, the industry's adoption of it and also the reimbursement of it, which was a key missing component that, that we now have. So say I'm a, a cardiologist or I'm a primary care doctor, and I'm seeing a group of patients at a skilled nursing facility where I'm not visiting them, but they have an echo, um, they have your devices. What is that experience like in terms of what do I see? So am I on a Zoom call and then I see like the echo output um, in a separate app or how, how, does that, how does that work? Great question. Yes, yeah, so within our application, patient location, so the skilled nursing facility can use an iPad on a cart, they can use a Windows PC, any platform they really want to install our software. The provider on the other end can enter into a video chat with the, you know, the nurse or the MA with the patient along with the patient. I mean, in some cases, it's even the patient by themselves at home using, using this on themselves. And then in addition to the video chat, the second they turn on the device, the tablet and our application automatically pick up the, the stream and begin to live stream the heart and lung sounds to the provider on the other end. So you, Shiv, as the doctor, are seeing me, but you also put on headphones, you can hear my heart sounds, my lung sounds, get a single EDCG. And using the AI, you can click a button, capture 15 seconds of either heart sound data or ECG data, and assess it right there for AFib or the presence of a heart murmur. Beyond that, of course, you could also do the other components of the physical exam you know, that are not necessarily needing to be live streamed, but the key component of the exam that you just cannot replace with a manual capture is the stethoscope. Um, so that's really what we deliver. And it's almost as important as the real-time video. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so do you have any like electronic health record implementations yet, or is that coming? We do. Yeah. We work with a partner called Redox, another Dreamit company who really helped us accelerate our ability to integrate with a variety of, of EHRs and then custom implementations at various health systems. So now that the AI is on the market, the need to not only be able to get that point of care screening, but also embed that into the patient's record and then send it to the specialist with the referral and say, we heard a murmur, we heard, you know, we documented AFib. 2.3% of, of patients over the age of 65 have asymptomatic AFib. So the ability to just screen every incomer into the exam, you're gonna inevitably pick up patients that you would have missed. So the ability to append that to any referral that you do to a cardiologist is so helpful. Totally. So do you mind giving us a bit of a sense of like, at this point, you have 50,000 clinicians, what's the breakdown? Are they NPs, cardiologists, 
primary, other primary care docs. And then also as far as building that AI library, clearly, you know, an AI is as good as the data set it's trained on. How big is your data set roughly at this point? So our user base is really as horizontal as the stethoscope is as a tool. Um, so we've got specialists you know, using this at the point of care, you know, whether they're a cardiologist or a pulmonologist to hear better, even though they're the experts at being able to pick up abnormalities, they still love the additional decision support that we can provide all the way to, you know, MAs and nursing and medical school students who are learning auscultation for the first time and are able to be able to go out on some of their first rounds and be able to finally kind of experience what their teachers had been talking about. Oh, I'm hearing a murmur and it's loud and clear and the app is telling me that yes, indeed, this is a murmur. And so the 50,000 providers really span from physicians to nurses to NPs to PAs. The majority of them are you know, practicing primary care um, or internal medicine providers because they really serve as the front line for picking up on valve disease and, and kind of need that, that higher level of auscultation, but we, we benefit, you know, anyone that uses a stethoscope in terms of the, the data science side, you're right. I mean, there wasn't a data set of annotated pathological heart sounds that we could just use to develop the machine learning algorithm. Um, so we had to go out in partnership with organizations like Northwestern medicine and UCSF to conduct really 18 month long studies where we captured heart sounds and lung sounds and then validated the heart sounds against echocardiography and then use that data to train the algorithm and then ultimately validate it at a study we did at Northwestern Medicine. One quick thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, we know that COVID has a lot of respiratory impact. Are there a specific like lung sound database now that you're collecting on patients with COVID? Can you talk a bit about that? We are working with uh, some institutions to build a data set of lung sounds from COVID patients. What we've heard from our providers is that there's not a specific sound that necessarily corresponds to COVID, but the, you know, a, a wheeze, a rail, a ronchi, being able to differentiate that using machine learning when a physician is auscultating would be really helpful in terms of differentiating between various pulmonary conditions. And I'm not a doctor, so you correct me if, if you disagree, but, but what we're really focusing on is how do we build an algorithm that can help with the pulmonary exam differentiate between wheezes and rails and ronchi that, to, to essentially help what you're already doing, which is trying to suss out the different potential pathologies rather than trying to use the pulmonary auscultation to arrive at a disease diagnosis. But COVID-19 as a pulmonary disease has definitely escalated our research into, into pulmonary as a category. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, to be clear too, I'm not, I haven't finished med school yet. I, like you, I started osmosis when I was a student. No. <laughs> uh, I'm on leave. Uh, it's my seventh year off while we've been building osmosis. So there you go. But so speaking of medical education, I mean, one reason I was always excited about echo when I first learned about it is early on around the time we were starting osmosis, we also worked with Ted Med to create this thing called a smartphone physical. The whole reason for doing it was that we said, look, at some point in the future, patients directly or providers will have access to this data. And then like you guys are doing, uh, add an AI or ML layer on top of it to help interpret. Um, and so in the process of developing the smartphone physical, I got to know Eric Topol really well. And I know you know, uh, know him as well. Um, he's written a book on AI and medicine. He's a cardiologist at Scripps. And he talks about a lot of things in AI, but one thing we wrote together, an article for academic medicine, 
was about a, how these devices like Echo can be used to improve the quality of education. Do you mind talking a bit about, about that? Like how a lot of our medical nursing PA students in schools could be using the Echo today to improve education. And then also what the role of a clinician will be assuming AI does all the diagnostics for them. So it's, it's really fascinating to think about the future of the physical exam. Um, and that obviously impacts how educators are teaching it today. You know, the one conversation that comes up a lot is what is the future of the stethoscope? You know, we have handheld ultrasound. What is the need to be able to train auscultation and differentiate between normal and pathologic murmurs when you have, you know, an ultrasound at the bedside? So we've been really focused on, on this discussion. And I think ultimately where we've ended up is that we want to look at what we have today. And what we have today is about 30 million providers with a stethoscope around their neck using it to provide the frontline screening tool around the world. So we're working towards a you know, generation of providers where we are gonna have handheld ultrasound. And I think the reality is just given the cost of that technology and the training that's gonna be required to use it and even the time that it takes to embed into the physical exam, there's going to be at least for the next, you know, I don't, I'm not a fortune teller, but for the next decade and a half, you know, a world in which the stethoscope and the ultrasound are still feeding off of each other. And the stethoscope is probably going to be used a lot more than handheld ultrasound in your everyday wellness exam. So being able to build tools that help providers use that tool more effectively. And then if something flags, having an ultrasound that's right there that can be used to more effectively and in a more timely manner, get to the diagnosis. That's the kind of yin and yang between those two technologies that, that we're really excited about. So in terms of education, you know, we, are committed to helping students really understand the importance of auscultation. Because the, the reality is when you look at the data, the number of patients that come in that don't flag you know, the need for an ultrasound, but that have you know, moderate aortic stenosis or moderate mitral regurgitation who walk right in and out of that, that wellness exam is staggering. So you know, being able to couple the stethoscope and the echocardiogram in both how we train this next generation of students and how we implement it in practice today, I think are really important. What the device you know, looks like 15, 20 years from now is, is anyone's guess, but I think right now we're really focused on how do we bring these together. I know you're constantly innovating, so I'm sure you know, whether it's five or 10 or 15 years, uh, you know, maybe Echo will eventually create an ultrasound as well that's cheaper. Our big premise is and always will be early detection of cardiovascular disease, and then ultimately monitoring it. So we, we felt, you know, with our stethoscope, given today's healthcare environment, what would be the fastest way to improve detection in every physical exam? That's, that's really where we started. And we've even shifted to the home with COVID. You know, how do we bring these types of tools to patients? I think, yeah, as, as we see the cost of ultrasound technology come down and the ability to implement it, we will have to adapt. And, and the nature of cardiac screening will change. But right now, and, and for the foreseeable you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we're really looking at how do we empower this generation of students to be able to learn the value of auscultation, the value of the physical exam, and the stethoscope is critical to that. So speaking of students, my last question is, given that our audience has a lot of medical nursing, PA, and other allied health professional students, you know, do you have any advice to them about meeting the challenges of COVID and or you know, anything related to ECHO that they should know as well? Well, first off, I want to just express my gratitude to them. Signing up to enter medicine right now is, is not an easy thing to do. You know, I have friends that are medical students 
who are just graduating and, you know, this, this six months or, you know, year that we have ahead of us in the thick of COVID is going to be their first year in medical practice. And it's not easy. So as Echo, as a company whose community is primarily clinicians, we're really focused on how do we innovate and be able to support our providers. One of the things that we have done kind of with feedback from our providers is think about wireless auscultation. You know, when we think of the stethoscope, it's 25 inches, 26 inches of rubber tubing that's separating you and the patient. You're having to get very close. If you're wearing PPE, you know, it can be often difficult to maneuver the stethoscope and be able to listen at the same time. So what we did is using the Bluetooth in our devices actually enable providers to, to live stream the audio to Bluetooth AirPods or headphones that they're wearing, which allows them to completely remove the rubber tubing, put headphones under their PPE, and be able to either have the patient put the stethoscope on their own chest and guide the patient on the placement, or fully encapsulate the stethoscope in a glove or in a, a covering and be able to perform the exam, but at a further distance from the patient. So I think, you know, in terms of advice for providers, A, institutions and healthcare technology companies need to be focused on provider and, and practitioner safety. You know, we went through the PPE crisis, we're still in it, but now we have to think about how do we deliver care with patient and provider safety as one of the foremost it's not the foremost concern. And I think medical students need to think about their own safety and, and what tools will they invest in and, and what institutions will they go work for that really prioritize that. So it's one of those things where I can't, I couldn't even imagine the experience of going into the medical sector in this era, but certainly ECHO is here to try to get creative and think of ways to help providers still provide the same level and caliber of care they provided before COVID, but in a much safer way. That's super innovative, not only to protect that patient and that provider, but then the next patient the provider sees. So with that, Jason, I really want to thank you for the work you do at Echo and, and for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Shiv. It was awesome talking to you and look forward to staying in touch. Awesome. And so with that, I'm Shiv Ruglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.